Welcome to the Teacher Rockstar Podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to providing valuable insights, practical tips, and proven strategies to equip new teachers for success. I'm your host, Steve Hiles, retired educator, published author, and instructional coach. Join me in each episode as we offer a supportive platform for navigating the challenges of the teaching profession. In today's episode, Dr. Bill Copeland will be discussing 10 skill sets that teachers need to coach. And now I'd like to take a moment to share a little bit about today's special guest. Bill Copeland is founder and professor of the highly successful undergraduate policy studies major at Syracuse University, which has more than 200 majors annually. He is the Laura J. and L. Douglas Meredith Professor for Teaching Excellence at the Maxwell School and College of Arts and Sciences at Syracuse University. An author of 110 books and articles, many of which are in education, he has taught and advised tens of thousands of undergraduates over his 50-plus years of teaching. He has also trained more than 1,000 high school teachers, 100-plus of which offer his freshman course in high school. Bill Copeland's mission is to equip students with the practical skills they need to have career success while leaving society better than they found it. His Skills Win program seeks to improve education throughout the United States. Copeland's mantra, skills to do well and do good, has motivated generations of Syracuse University alumni to tackle 21st century challenges. Welcome to the show, Bill. Glad to be here. I always enjoy talking to you. All right. Glad to have you back again. Uh, would you like to just take a moment, you know, to share your, your journey in education? I think the audience would, would really love to hear that. Okay. So I graduated with a BA from Johns Hopkins in, in 1960. Didn't know what I wanted to do and ended up going to American University to study international relations because I thought it was interesting. <laughs> um, and I discovered that I was really good at uh, doing research and academic stuff. But more important to me was that they had me started teaching classes as a second year graduate student, and I loved the teaching. Yeah. I graduated, went to Wayne State, uh, where I did a lot of research and teaching, but I was unhappy there because they were emphasizing research, and I wanted to emphasize teaching. So I came yeah. to Syracuse University in 1969. I've been here ever since. I was in the political science department, but also in... I started running the international relations program, uh, and then I got a hold of a, a dying um, program and became director of it and transformed it into the policy studies program, which has grown to over 250 undergraduate majors every year and been extremely wow. successful. And at the same time, became more committed to teaching. Okay. Well, that. That's super. Uh, let, let's let's go ahead and dive right into your 10 skill sets that teachers need to coach. I have to ask you, how can teachers collectively, you know, foster a culture of accountability within the educational community? And that's that represents skill number one, which is taking responsibility. Oh, I see. Yeah. I think that the teachers have to do what's necessary to keep their job, get promoted and get raises. That's one thing. Yeah. But they need to take responsibility to provide students with the capability to function in the world and to have a successful career and be a good citizen and be a good person. 
So I think the skills under law should be, the skills should be their hidden curriculum. And if they would focus on that after taking care of business, I think our students would be a lot better off than they are now. Hmm, I see. Well, let me ask you this. Can you speak to in what ways can educators collaboratively uh, work towards, you know, enhancing their physical skills? And that leads us to the uh, skill task or skill set, too. How do you speak to that, the developing physical skills? Well, I have four categories, which are sort of maybe weird. Stay well, and that's both health, physical and mental. Mm -hmm. Look good because that's what you need when you go out in the world and you want to make money or change things. I also have typing down. I also put down right legibly because I couldn't, I can't read my own notes. I consider I'm very weak. I get an F on right ledgers, legibly, <laughs> and it's actually quite limiting. And uh -huh. then and also in the last few years, I have students that will meet with me and they'll have their computer open and they'll be taking notes while they're talking to me. Then they mm -hmm. send it back to me. And then I know, we both know what we agreed to do. It's almost like a contract. It's not exactly physical, but it is sort of physical because you have to do it while you're also talking. Right. Teachers can promote all this by having exercise in class, talking about it. It's a pretty significant part of a person's life is their physical well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. How, how do teachers ensure effective verbal communication within the school community? I, my list is converse one-on-one, -on -one, present to groups, and use visual, visual displays. Now, I think the first one is the most important, converse one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. and it's a skill level that nobody focuses on because it's not in usually um, course objectives. And so you'll have the, the teachers emphasizing like public presentations and PowerPoint, which is good. It's good, but it's not close to personal communications. And how the, the, the way they promote it is they, when they're talking to students uh, and they don't understand what the student's saying, ask them. And then also ask the student if they understood what you're saying. And if it's written and they send an email uh, that's not clear, come back on them right away. You don't have to criticize them. You can say, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you rephrase this? And, and it sounds like sort of a trivial thing, but I find uh, much of the biggest problem in group work and people's lives is poor communications, that you have to have a listener, you have to have a speaker. Right. You always talk to each other. So I think the... When you're in a class and um, students bring up things, have in the back of your mind, okay, how clear was what the student said? I'll, I'll give you an example. Students do this. People do this all the time. So do you want to go to a Chinese restaurant or an Italian restaurant? The answer is, well, I like Italian and I like Chinese, and I think Chinese is sort of better for you. And I say to them, don't give me the rationale. Answer my question. Yeah. So you want to go to a Chinese or an Italian restaurant? The answer is Chinese or the answer is Italian. The answer right. is not a dialogue on why you chose it. Now, you could say Chinese and then you could say why. Yeah. And say the answer first. 
And if you ever talk to people, you see they don't want to say the answer first. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons is because they're not sure what the answer is. So they're trying to give themselves time and talk themselves into the answer. Yeah. In the meantime, all this time is wasted and we don't know what the answer is. So uh, that's hmm. just an example. And, and uh, you know, anytime you ask a student a question, a yes, no question, get the yes, no before they say anything else. Mm -hmm. And so I interrupt them and I say, well, yes or no, what, what? And then they'll say, yeah, no, yes. And I say, okay, <laughs> now why? So that kind of um, interaction uh, has huge impact. And another thing to say is teachers are models. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. They're modeling their education, which is more important than what comes out of their mouth, for the, than their directions, their, their mm -hmm. explanations. And all that not as important. More important is how they model their own communications. Right, right. Okay. Absolutely. Well, you know, I have to ask you, though, so you, you talk about communicating verbally. Well, let, let's kind of shift gears and talk about communicating in writing. You know, how can educators collectively, you know, refine their written communication skills to produce clearer and accessible information for their students? There's a problem with the education system is yeah. that the people teaching writing are teaching writing for fiction or writing for how you feel. They're not teaching writing to communicate. They're teaching writing to express their views. Yeah, yeah. So this says communicating verbally, communicating in writing. I think students don't know how to write because most of the writing is taught by English, which is confused with English literature, so it's got to do with literature, which really, in the everyday world, that doesn't help. Yeah, That doesn't help to write like a novelist, or what about poetry? I mean, that doesn't help. Not that you shouldn't do that stuff, but that's not teaching writing. So, I mean, freshman English is a, is a mess. How and so? It, how, how, well, how is it such a mess? Because the, they're having the students write things that are not professionally directed. Like, how do I feel about, I don't know, a, con a conflict? Or how do I feel about my relationship with my parent? How do I feel? They're writing about how do you feel. Then they say, and this is like Syracuse University has this, they're writing to teach students how to write in other disciplines. Okay? Mm -hmm. What's that about? When you get out in the real world, you're not writing to disciplines, to other professors. You're writing to your boss on my, yeah. my, this microphone rather than not microphone. Right, right. So therefore, their writing has a lot of lot more, lot more words, and they use adjectives and adverbs which should be avoided in writing. So um, if you read, there's a famous book called Strunk and White: Elements of Style. Mm -hmm. That's a little book was written in the 30s. It's fantastic. And it says things like don't use adjectives and adverbs and use um, don't say it is. Get rid of it is and there are because it just adds words, weakens, weakens mm -hmm. the subject. Um, there's some there's very there's a, a few things that students need to be trained on that they're not trained on in freshman English. They're trained mm -hmm. to write like scholars. And that's 
It doesn't work. And then that seeps down into high schools where English is confused with English literature. So what are we teaching here? Mm -hmm. They don't even know what they're teaching. And then, of course, they don't teach grammar anymore. Like my students don't know what a noun is. These are college students. Well, oh they might. Gosh. <laughs> they don't know the parts of speech. We are yeah. certainly in trouble if they don't know what a noun is. No, one becomes before an M if you have two, and an if you have two independent clauses. They don't know that. <laughs> and so, this is pretty bad. It's pretty you know, bad. oh and, my gosh. Well, I guess the bottom line is, teach writing to communicate. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think writing should be, students should be directed to do authentic writing instead of just writing to an arbitrary prompt? Oh, definitely. You know, yeah, yeah. I think writing should be, uh, my view, well, authentic, I, you know. When I took this program over, I said, I don't want my students writing to professors. The head of the Boys and Girls Club, write them a memo on how to increase enrollment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, write with a purpose and write it to somebody else, don't write it to me. Yeah. That's not what's taught, though. That's not what's taught. It, I mean, there is some of it. Yeah, yeah. That's why project-based learning is so important. Oh, yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. I, I love that. Absolutely. The other, the other thing about writing is the students don't edit and proof. They've been trained through high school to finish their paper five minutes before they hand it in instead of two days before they hand it in so they can proof and edit it a day later. They don't do that yeah. because of the way they operate. And then and then the teachers let them get away with that. Uh, so editing and proofing, I mean, and they don't even know what that word means, editing and proofing, some of them. Yeah. Um, and so then, then there's the whole use of these word processing tools, you know, Word, Microsoft Word. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're tremendously helpful, uh, tremendously helpful, although they are a crutch, which makes, which you could argue makes the student a weaker writer. You know how it finishes your sentence for you. Yeah. Hey, but like, first of all, well, that's the way it is. So that's not changing. <laughs> yeah. That, you're not going to get rid of that. And I think it's okay. I mean, it's a crutch. Okay. And then there's all, you know, and then all the online communications Oh, yeah. Email. And I was going to ask you, you know, the, the implications of chat GPT on writing. Yeah. Chat P- yeah. 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 You know, and how students could actually have that actually right. write their paper. I know. know. That's, so, so that's that, another area. That's a big problem. See, that's not a problem for me because I'm about skills. That's yeah. a problem yeah. for content people uh-huh. that the kids can get the content without knowing the content. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a big problem, which which is furthers my argument that it's the skills that is the basic should be the basic curriculum of every teacher. Every Absolutely. Teacher. Absolutely. Bill, let me ask you, working directly with people, can you describe a, a, a collaborative effort among teachers that exemplifies successful teamwork, let's say? Okay, so I have three things here. The first thing is they must have good relationships with other teachers. Mm-hmm. That means everything they do every day builds that relationship or tears it down. So I'm a big fan of Dale Carnegie, who talks a lot about this. How do you how do you get people? How do you get good relationships with people? The number one suggestion is show an interest in the person. Mm-hmm. If, 
at what they're doing, their family, all that kind of stuff. So I think some basic people skills, and I think Dale Carnegie covers it pretty well, is the first step. The teamwork thing is a really big problem. The teachers themselves are pretty experienced with teamwork, but it, it's just very frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Because first of all, you have bad communications going on because they're not answering, you know, talking directly, answering questions. And then you have, well, who's in charge here? There's people that are taking notes, and then uh, there's all kinds of confusions. They can go down a trail. You have some sort of group thing going on. My example of that is, you know, so um, students stop eating cafeteria lunches. So that's a problem. Well, how are you going to solve that problem? Well, let's make some ads because they don't know what's going to be. So they say that the cause of the problem is lack of awareness of the variety. And the, they're like, well, how bad? It's because the food stinks. <laughs> yeah. That, that cause. Well, they, they rush to the solution before they identify the cause. Okay. And not that in meetings, teach meetings with teachers and professors. And, and they're getting into an argument about doing this or that. And I raise my hand and I say, so what's the problem? Mm -hmm. And it like sets them back. They don't know. They they have not identified the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's step number one, is it? So I think it's, you should be strategic. And the other thing is there's a lot of teaching going on in all these groups. Like you get a group together and they're, they're together because they have different expertise. Mm-hmm. So part of that process is each person helping everybody else understand their area of expertise so they can all figure out how to have a solution. And so I have uh, teaching others as a very important part, any kind of team process. All right. Okay. Well, uh, let's kind of shift gears to influencing people. Can you share some examples of how uh, teachers you know, as a collective force can influence educational policies or methodologies. I know that might be a little touchy area there. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know. Well, the first problem is the teachers are the low person on a totem pole. Yeah. So they have yeah. no power or very little power. That's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's, I think, a big cause where government and these boards and from the feds to the states to the local school board, they mm-hmm. their fingers and everything. And then teachers are giving this elaborate set of objectives um, that they must comply with. It's overwhelming. Yes, it is. So how can they get things changed? I'm a believer. I'm sort of believe in guerrilla warfare. Just make the changes. Don't ask anybody. Then if you get your hand slapped, then say, oh, yeah, you're probably right. I'm going to do that anymore. (laughs) So that's what I did through my whole career. Mm -hmm. That's how I built this this major I built. Nobody knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. All they knew was my students liked it. Then more students kept coming to it. So they sort of stayed away from it. They didn't get student complaints. Yeah, yeah. So if you're a teacher, if you want to make some changes in the classroom that aren't authorized, we'll just do it anyway. Do it, don't do it on the day when a principal comes in and visits. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, not do anything that's going to get you 
you know, right. in hot, hot water, you know, but. But, you know, my list of um, things I have managed, if, there's a lot of ways you influence people man, managing. Well, teachers really are managers of their students. Uh-huh. I don't think teachers, well, think of it that way. I think the most important thing you can do is think of yourself as managing an educational environment. What can I do that will create conditions that students will do things uh, that will help them learn? That doesn't mean talking. That doesn't mean giving lectures. The less you do of that, the better off you are, I, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to look at it as a management. And then, and then another thing is you have, to, you have to be able to sell both to your students and others your ideas. And the sales, another word for sales is change agent. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing salespeople do is change things. Change is very difficult. And so you have to realize that you're, you're trying to figure out a way in which the person does what you want them to do without telling them what to do. And, and change agents, it, it's tough. There are ways to do it, show it's their interest. It's in their interest yeah. to act. Absolutely. I have this word politic wisely in there, which is, Politics is when you try and get a rule change or a program change that involves a certain number of people. It's very difficult. I mean, we, you can see what goes on in national politics, but it's it's the same oh, yeah. internally. You have to, first of all, know who the players are who have the most power. And then you should list those players and say, it will be before, against, or neutral to this. And then if they're for it, they're your allies and friends. Maybe you can get them to help you with others who aren't for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're neutral, um, then you have somebody to focus on. And if they're against what you want, then you have, do I try and convince them or do I just stay away from them as much as possible? So there's rules you can use. Uh-huh. And then I have under their lead effectively. I don't like that word. I put it in there, right? I don't really like that word because I'm not sure what it means. To me, it means having a vision and doing things to help accomplish that vision. So that's what leadership is. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a higher level of sales because you're dealing with a lot of people. So that's where I am with that. Okay. Are you a teacher facing daily challenges that leave you feeling exhausted and overwhelmed? Imagine walking into a classroom where students are engaged, enthusiastic, and eager to learn. Picture a teaching environment where your lesson plans seamlessly captivate every student's attention. Introducing our solution, a treasure trove of resources, strategies, and expert insights designed to empower teachers like you. Our newsletter is your gateway to proven classroom management techniques, innovative lesson plans, and the support you need to thrive in your role. Ready to take the first step towards a transformed teaching experience? Sign up for our newsletter today. Use the link in the podcast description to gain exclusive access to a wealth of resources that will reshape your classroom dynamics. Speaking to gathering of information, which is uh, skill set seven, uh, how can educators collaboratively uh, implement effective strategies for gathering 
various types of information, you know, ensuring that data-driven decisions uh, that benefit the overall educational, you know, experience. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think Google is a huge asset. So don't be afraid to Google. Um, problem with Google is they give you a haystack and there's a needle somewhere. <laughs> Libraries are becoming more and more irrelevant because things are in, we're not in books. Even the books are electronic, but they do buy commercial databases. Mm -hmm. so my students do a lot of library work through the computer to the commercial databases that students have. And that would be the same thing for teachers. Now, if they wanted to look at things, they maybe go to ProQuest or some of these commercial databases. Mm -hmm. A lot of research and gathering information has to come from talking to other people. So your interview skills become important. Um, and you have to think of yourself as, well, I'm trying to get this information from these from my colleagues. How am I going to get it? Mm. Really trying to interview them. Yeah. Now, using surveys, everybody's using surveys all the time. And they're annoying, right? Every time you buy something, then the, the <laughs> yeah. do and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I think teachers could use surveys more. Just, just ask the kids. I say, what did you like? What didn't you like? And what should we do? It's those yeah. questions. Now, there's a tendency to want to create closed choice and elaborate surveys. Mm -hmm. I view that as uh, political symbolism. It doesn't mean anything. The surveys are only going to be used to support positions. Mm -hmm. Surveys are always, almost always, have such a low sample that they really are useless. Yeah, and everybody's doing them all the time. So I guess what's my advice? I'd sort of be very skeptical of surveys. <laughs> okay. Then the rec record keeping is another key thing that you need to do. And I, th I think teachers should use Excel as much as they can. And I know mm -hmm. they have these packages now where they keep notes on students. So I think you should have a system so that you can tell where all, each of the students is and you can also look at the collective. So that would be my, my advice there. Okay, great. Now let's uh, move on to um, using quantitative tools. Okay, now in which ways can... Uh, teachers as a group leverage, you know, quantitative tools and data analysis uh, techniques to enhance their teaching. Yeah, I think, I think first of all, don't go too wild and don't use fancy statistics. Mm -hmm. uh, use spreadsheet programs and look at numbers, how many come to class or latenesses, or how many turn in their homework on time. Keep those kinds of records because that may point out something you might want to change. So you need the basic information. And then I think trend line graphs are all right, sort of, and we getting worse or better, or the students producing higher scores. And I, I think I, w I wouldn't put too much emphasis or too much time in that, but I do think you have to have some, some factual information to back up your, you're always looking for problems and how to, how to ameliorate them, how to reduce them. Um, yeah. We can't do that if you don't have records. Absolutely. Now, sometimes I know as, as a teacher, I felt that sometimes uh, all the data that can be really overwhelming, yes. you know, data you get from your district, data you get from, from your admin. I mean, 
you know, it, it just can be totally mind blowing. You it, know, it's, it's time consuming, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not a big fan of it. I believe that the people who make these surveys and collect these data never look at them. Mm-hmm. Then maybe once in a while they're going to make a point. Then they'll go into it and see if they can make their point. Yeah. I don't see them monitoring the situation. Yeah. I see this being a, a big, big factor for like new teachers coming into the field and being, right. you know, bombarded well, with all this. Like student, student surveys. Now college professors don't like them because some of these surveys are not good. And, you know, mm-hmm. negative. My position is, Surveys should be used to help improve things, not to judge somebody. Now, formative versus summative. Formative is I get this data. Oh, I'm going to stop. I'm going to cut my lecture in half. Yeah. Summative is I'm a lousy teacher. You can't win that game. You don't yeah. win that game every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, at, at, what they've done at Syracuse is very interesting. They have a universal survey that they give for courses that professors can use or change. The questions are written in such a way that it's hard for the students to be negative. Mm. And most of the questions are positive. Uh, and then most of the faculty don't even look at them. And then if, if it comes up on a tenure or promotion thing, first of all, teaching is not where research is. But almost everybody's a good teacher. It looks like from the data, but but they're not, and people yeah. know they're not. It's just the way the information comes. So I think the burden of data. These administrators trying to control control thing, mm-hmm. what's on the ground, is one of the biggest problems of our education system. Yeah, it's devastating the teachers, and they yes, have to go well and spend this time instead of talking to their students, which is mm-hmm. what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you, and this is a, a good one here uh, that I wanted to get your, your feedback on, and that's asking and answering the right questions. You know, how can the teaching community collectively develop a culture of inquiry, you know, encouraging thoughtful questioning and, 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 and a deeper understanding of educational challenges? Well, I have four things here, and I think detecting nonsense uh, has to be number one. Mm-hmm. Because there is so much nonsense out there, such abstract babbling that you can't even pay attention to it or follow it, excuse me, using data incorrectly. So you always have to be, does this make sense? Does this make sense? And ask questions that will help you better understand whether it makes sense or not. Um, the other thing is pay attention to detail because the details really tell you what's going on. Mm-hmm. Then I have applying knowledge. So I have a big problem with this business of research-based strategies. Like, what does that mean? You mean like you study something? It's connected to the idea of best practices. Yeah. So I think anybody who uses the term best practice is incompetent. Because if you take the term seriously, and that it means for any given strategy, you have thousands of pieces of data from different units on the strategies by all schools, and yours was the best. It, it can't, mm. It's possible. It can't be. It, that's ridiculous. So why do they keep saying that? Well, because it sounds good, but it's completely funny. You can't have that. 
the concept of best practices came from quality assurance in the 80s, 70s and 80s, which meant what's the best way to put a, a bolt in a tire, in a, in a, in a wheel? What's the mm -hmm. best way to use this machine, this machine? And then we'll, we'll do it a thousand times and we'll say machine X is the best. So yeah, that's the best practice is to, use mm -hmm. X, to put a bolt in a tire. Now that term got used to generalize to everything anybody does, including teaching. Well, how can that be? Because you can't measure it. You can't get data on it. And you can't make a universal statement that's better than any other practice. So I still hear people using that word and I want to stop them. Why do they use that word? Because they're in the stage of arguing for things. They're manipulating symbols to get their way. I don't know if you're following me here. If it, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it should be stopped. And that's why a knowledge, I like to say, knowledge is not power. Finding and using knowledge gives you power, but knowledge itself is not power. And um, then there's this whole research-based thing, which is mm -hmm. another term used to bring legitimacy. What does it mean? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. The only thing I want to know is, did you try this? Yes. How did it work out? Pretty well. Oh, okay. Great. So you think it worked out well? Oh, so maybe that's a good strategy. That's as far as you can get. You can't get any further. Okay. You can get 10 people. You can ask 10 people that question. Of course, you know what's going to happen. You're not going to get a consistent answer. So mm -hmm. then, no. So I don't know if I'm babbling on here, but no, no. A good point. Uh, in other words, what, what about if a teacher experimented with two or three different strategies for managing their classroom? And like, say, they've done it a hundred times. I'm just using that out there. And then they picked one. Well, wouldn't that be a best practice for them? For that teacher, yeah. Yeah, for that that's teacher. Okay. Universal best practice. Okay. All right. Well, so that's what that implies when you say best practice. It doesn't yeah. matter if one teacher found it work. It okay. you say best practice. My best practice. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree, but not. That's not how it's used. It means yeah. universally a best practice. Okay. Very interesting. I have to tell you that. Uh, okay. Our final skill set is solving problems. And can you share examples, I don't know, at your university or, or how teachers, you know, working together have successfully identified and addressed significant, you know, challenges in education, in the educational environment? Like, you know. Okay. I know a teacher, my course is taught in 50 high schools in New York State. So there's 50 teachers teaching my course. So mm -hmm. we talk. And this one teacher said, I can't get the kids to turn their papers in on time. Uh huh. What should I do? Well, my answer is, well, fail them. <laughs> but yeah. you can't get away with that. Yeah. So what he does is he tells them if the, if the papers do Monday, if they get it in Friday, they get extra credit points. Mm -hmm. And then half of them will do it that way. Uh -huh. And then if you get them in Monday, if you get it in Monday, you don't lose any points. But if you tend it on Tuesday, you lose X number. Yeah. So the the gimmick here was to try and get him to turn it in early. He thinks it worked. Uh -huh. I don't know whether it worked or not. But that so the problem. It's a very specific problem, but it's sort of a big problem because. Mm -hmm. It's a project-based course. If they don't turn in that unit of the project, then they're nowhere. It's not like they yeah. can 
Taking a test is easy. So all those kinds of problems, you need to first be very clear exactly what the problem is. So if you're talking about they don't get their papers in time, you can be very clear. X percent did not get their papers in time. Yeah. And then you want to look at, you want to come up with solutions, but you have to look at the causes. Why aren't the kids turning in on time? Well, be, part of the reason is because all the other teachers are letting them get away with it. So they've learned to not turn in on time. Mm-hmm. And then there's procrastination and some students have problems and maybe, maybe, maybe the paper's too difficult. So maybe what are the causes? And then you sort of come up with a policy and then you implement the policy because it's easy to think of solution to problems, but you haven't thought of solutions to problems until you made it happen, right? Yeah. I think he thinks it solved his problem, which it probably improves things what he said. So, but that's the definition of what the problem is. And then what are the causes and also how it's measured has to be at the base of problem solving. But the people tend to go right to the solution uh, without looking at being clear about the definition of the problem or being clear about um, the causes and not having good measurement. Okay. Well, Bill, let me ask you this. Um, what is the biggest takeaway that you would like to share with our audience today? What advice would you give to that new teacher or in, uh, even seasoned teachers for that matter? You know, what, what's the biggest thing that you'd, from our talk today? What? Now, the biggest thing is in their own activities and also how they approach students uh-huh. is to focus on skills and experience and don't work and teach the content is good. They're going to teach the content they want. But what skill are they developing by doing that content? The content okay. is the stuff where they practice the skill. And then you need to identify to the students ahead of time why that skill is valuable, not why the content's valuable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The content's valuable. You don't have to say this isn't valuable content. Yeah, yeah. You have to say, well, we're going to study, um, you know, the Revolutionary War, and um, I want you to sort of figure out how groups work together and uh, kinds of pressures and tensions there are mm-hmm. so that you can, you yourself could use it in your own life to be a team player or if you're ever in some kind of conflict. So always relate it back to the student and how the student develops skills. And I think teachers need to be keeping thinking of their skill sets. Mm-hmm. Also give it to their students because, as we said, the, you model things and you want them to do it. So I think my 10 skill sets are the hidden curriculum that's too hidden. It should be more explicit, more in the front of what the students are learning. Mm-hmm. They should know they're developing their skills. And the teachers should think of what skills are they developing and articulate that to the kids. And this is pretty revolutionary because they don't do that now. Mm-hmm. It's we're going to study revolutionary war so we can understand revolutionary war. And that's a good thing, understanding the revolutionary yeah. war. It's a good thing. But you're also teaching them problem solving types of analysis. If Perhaps you, collaborative group, collaborative group, yeah, exactly. work, yeah. You, you give them, you give them team projects to do, 
And the goal of the team, the skills goal of the team project is to develop their teamwork, but they're also learning about the Revolutionary War, which is- Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think the skills, we, I, I, in my program is called Skills Win, and it needs to be in, infiltrate the entire education system. Mm -hmm. And it is happening. It's happening. Yeah. And it needs to be much more explicit. Um, should it be, uh, Bill, to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, should it be like a 50-50 thing? You know, because a lot of teachers are wondering, well, do I teach skills? Do I teach content? Or, you know what I'm saying? Uh, well, you, what's your take on that there? You teach skills that will generate the learning of content. So, so it's they kind of go hand in hand, right? It's not like one's more important than the other. No. Well, to me, the skills are more important mm -hmm. from an educational philosophy point of view, but you don't have to give up the content. The problem with the content is there's too much content and there's not that much agreement on the content. Mm -hmm. Changing it all the time. Yeah. And um, it's not, I, I like to say it's, the content is like eating potato chips <laughs> and the skills are like eating spinach. So okay. maybe we could make a spinach potato chip. <laughs> potato chip. And now, uh, I, I think the skills are the most important. I, I, I think the problem is professors are into content mostly. And, yeah, that, yeah. and then the teachers went to college and got this content. And a lot mm -hmm. of them love the content. And they want to teach the content. Not so true for elementary and middle school, but for high school, the content isn't enough. It's just not enough. Okay. All right. Uh, how can folks connect with you, Bill? Well, the best way is billcopeland.com is my webpage, and it'll give you more additional information. It'll give you my email, which is wdcopeland at syr.edu. I have all kinds of materials I can share with them. Uh -huh. And eventually, we're going to be creating a subscription base for, in about a year, for um, teachers of schools, mostly mostly high schools, but yeah, yeah. Schools. So, um, my, my website's the best way to do it. And my books, I have a book called The Happy Professor, which sort of gives my educational philosophy. Uh huh. They might want to look at that. There's also a book called Ten Things Employers Want You to Learn in College. Um, which goes through these skill sets we just discussed yeah. for, for what you get in college. And that the title of that book is wrong. It, sh it shouldn't have been 10 skills employers want you to learn in college. It should be 10 skills employers want you to develop in college because you don't learn skills. You develop skills. Yeah. The word learn means acquiring knowledge, which is not enough. Right. So I think that would be the best way to do it. And my books are on Amazon and I'm always interested in talking. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, a lot of gold nuggets there, uh, Bill, I have to, I have to say, and I want to thank you so much for you taking time out of your schedule to come on the show today. And, you know, I'd love to have you back again at some point in the future. I want you to have an awesome day. Take care. And, you know, we'll talk soon. Okay. Okay, Steve. Uh, all right, you take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> well, my friend, we have come to the end of today's episode. I want to thank you for listening to the Teacher Rockstar Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hiles. If you have an idea for a topic, just shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. 
Also, to access the SkillsWin website, visit skillswin.syr.edu. The link will be in the podcast description. Well, there you have it. We'll see you same time, same place next week. And remember, my friend, you got this. The Teacher Rockstar Podcast with your host, Steve Hiles. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and join our growing community of teacher rockstars. Until then, thanks for listening.